Hi, I'm Kenna Lenhoff. Hi, I'm Cynthia Sherpet. Welcome to This One Woman. Our monthly variety show at the Hop Leaf in Chicago. It's the fourth Monday of every month, and for each of our shows, our performers are inspired by a famous woman that was chosen by the audience the month before. This month's woman of honor is Madonna. Charlotte Hamilton is a really fun performer who I first met in a class called Feminine Comique. So I'm going to give a shout out to this awesome class. It's a stand-up comedy class for anyone who identifies as a woman. Look it up if you live in the Chicagoland area. It's a really supportive and fun and risk-taking environment. And you'll meet really cool people like Charlotte. Charlotte is also really good at Scrabble, by the way. Is she? I bet she is. She's very smart. Yeah, she beats me probably about like 85% of the time. And I'm saying 85% because we literally play two games a day. <laughs> Let's hear Charlotte's email to Madonna. <laughs> okay, so um, I just wanted to see if I could just run something by you guys. Um, I wrote an email to Madonna. And um, so I just wanted to see like what you guys think. And then also if anybody has her email address, just get pass it on. That'd be great. <clears throat> Dear Madonna, I'm not sure why I'm writing you. I mean, for this one woman, yes. But beyond that, I don't know. Um, you never meant too much to me. I think I took you for granted. After all, you've been in existence for as long as I can remember. I never truly appreciated you, maybe because I never experienced a world without you in it. But now I've been researching you, becoming more aware of you, and I'm gonna take a page from your playbook and make this letter all about me. <laughs> when I was growing up, first in New Jersey, then Japan a little bit, then New Jersey again, there were times, a lot of them actually, when I wished someone was watching me do the things I did every day. I wished someone could witness and appreciate like just all the, the basic daily things like um, how I sang beautifully, just like Eddie Vedder. Or <laughs> my hilarious comments on Saturday Night Live sketches. Or how I ate my Doritos because I had like a three-point system that was really quite genius. Um, I don't know if this wanting to be seen at all times was like a normal human nature thing or a weird symptom of loneliness. Now people broadcasting the details of their lives on social media all the time. Um, that kind of makes me think that the desire to be seen is essentially part of human nature. I always felt a struggle between the inner and the outer me, or the me at home and the me that showed up at school and in public. They were not the same. I was not allowing myself to be seen because even though I wanted to be seen, I also really didn't. There was a time when I felt ashamed practically for existing. That time was called adolescence, so it's not as sad as it sounds, but it's still kind of sad. I would feel shame about things that there was no reason to feel shame about, like saying something that not everybody agreed with, 
or um, like not remembering something or like smelling funny if I, even if I'd showered. Like that's kind of shameful though. Um, part of this was just inherent in me, I think. It, like it popped up before adolescence actually. I remember a time when I was just like a few years old and my mom and I were shopping for clothes and she asked if I wanted the blue version of a shirt or a purple version of some shirt. And I wanted the purple, but for some reason I said blue, even though I was dying inside because I wanted the purple one. <laughs> my mother remembers this and told me later that she could tell I wanted the purple one and so she kept asking me if I was sure, yet I would not say what I actually wanted. Like, I don't know why, it was like some sort of naturally occurring anxiety about my own impulses and desires, maybe. Later on, part of it was, of course, the fact of being born female. Um, as a girl and then as a woman, you're charged with the task of making a place for yourself if you don't already see it in existence already. And I didn't know this. I, like many of us, thought you had to be the way that girls were supposed to be. Um, and I was always jealous of the ones who never took for granted what their role was um, in society, who somehow knew that they had more options for how to live than were presented to them. I don't know that my life truly started until I started to resolve the conflict between who I was on the outside and who I was on the inside. Like, How could I have a real life when my very identity was not solid? And the way I started to resolve it was by finding out about other people who had felt the same feelings as me. Normal feelings like anger, hurt, jealousy. People who made mistakes. People who did the same ridiculous or more ridiculous things that I did. I resolved it by hearing about people like you, Madonna. Yes, I've finally gotten to the you part of the letter. I hope you're still reading. Oh, it's an email, sorry. <laughs> In the documentary Truth or Dare, Warren Beatty, your then boyfriend, says about you, quote, she doesn't want to live off camera, much less talk. What point is there of existing off camera? Unquote. It sounds like a problem, that statement right there, but like everything, it can be a strength. If you don't see the difference between living on and off camera, then there is nothing to be ashamed of anymore. Everything about you, everything you've done or felt or experienced, failed relationships, abortion, the desire to rule the world, the way you look with no pants on, it's all okay. <laughs> it's all public. So does that mean there's no ego? Is that possible in a person who also seems to be all ego? Those are things I will never know about you for sure, Madonna. After all, I'm just making an assumption that there aren't things you're ashamed of. That assumption could be completely untrue. Maybe there are things we'd never expect. Like, you have a secret obsession with golden Oreos. Why do, why do those, that's not an Oreo. Or you could be ashamed that you vehemently despise penguins. Um, you could be ashamed that all the way until the seventh grade you thought a blowjob was a way of doing your hair. <laughs> until one of the four Megans in your class told you what it really was and you realized that the world was a vastly different place than you thought, <laughs> like for example. Madonna, I think you were born with the same desire for recognition, for being seen, that I was, and maybe everybody is, and you just accepted it. There was no embarrassment about it, no sense that you shouldn't be feeling the way you felt, and by being that way, I think you made others more brave, or at least more open about the shame that might have taken us down. Would I want to be friends with you? I don't think so. Would I want you to eulogize me at my funeral? Hell no. <laughs> but right now, I do see you here in the world, and I'm grateful for that. Best, Charlotte. Thank you. Coming up next is Liz Greenwood.
You can find Liz at Token, an inclusive comedy show, the second Sunday of the month at a Lulu Brew Pub in Pilsen. Here's Liz's performance. I'm not sure how I feel about Madonna. Um, I have her on my shirt. Um, so I like her enough to have a shirt with her name on it, but this is actually a shirt about Broad City and not Madonna. <laughs> so I kind of ambivalent. I feel like the way I feel about Madonna is like, kind of like how I feel about camping. Like, um, I, there's some really great things and some really terrible things and it sort of shakes out to like ambivalence. Um, like camping is a great way to bond with your friends, like kind of like singing like a prayer at karaoke. But camping, you also have to overlook that you're like eating, sleeping, and shitting in the woods. And with Madonna, you have to overlook that like pretty much her entire career is built on cultural appropriation. <laughs> and it's like weird. Like some of it is like the bad kind of cultural appropriation, like when she like wears a sari to like an award show or like adopts African children who already have parents. <laughs> but like some of the cultural appropriation is funny, like when she has like an adult onset British accent. <laughs> or like when she appropriates things that are already bad, like the Catholic Church or bullfighting. <laughs> and it's like, is this, is this doing something bad to something that's already bad, is that good now? Or is it still just double bad? Like I don't, it's very complicated is what I'm saying. But so I think, like, when I was younger, my feelings about Madonna were very simple. Um, I was afraid of her. <laughs> I was afraid of her because my earliest memory of Madonna is that cone bra. And until today, I remembered it as being, like, orange and traffic cone size, like, as if it was made of literal traffic cones. But it's actually not. It's actually a very tasteful cone bra. It's like all one color and it's like not that much bigger than boobs, they're just pointy. Um, so I don't know what I was so afraid of. But then like the second image I remember of Madonna is like that video where she's at the bullfight and she has like that hat that's like a net over her whole face. And that freaked me the fuck out. Like anyone who can wear a net over their face, I don't trust them. <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, I, I don't want anything to do with this Madonna character. And, then, so that was me as like a little child. Then like when I was like in junior high, I went to, I, I had to explain, Madonna released a cover of American Pie. And that feels like something that probably shouldn't bother me, like again, culturally appropriating something that sucks already, but like, <laughs> it actually like made me really angry and I'll explain. I went to this like summer camp for nerds and uh, like when I say summer camp for nerds, I mean like you had to take a test to get into this camp <laughs> and you had to agree to go to school like during the summer because that's what the camp was. It was school. And <laughs> like so you basically like isolated like all of the nerdiest kids across America and put them at summer camp. And the reason this camp was so amazing is that like you've picked out like the kids who are like the least cool kids. But when you put them all at a camp, some of them have to be cool. And like I was I still wasn't cool, but I was like a lot cooler than I was in high school. <laughs> like I was cool enough to like have a boyfriend for 4 days. 
and like get kissed one time. So like camp was very dear to my heart. And the reason I'm talking about this is American Pie was like the theme song of this camp, which doesn't make sense. It's like from the like 70s, it's like about like the music industry in the 60s and 70s. It's a terrible song written by an asshole, but for some reason it was like the theme song <laughs> of like nerd camp. And so when Madonna stole the theme song from Nerd Camp, I was like, what are you doing? This is our theme song. <laughs> like, this is very important to me. So I, like, absolutely hated Madonna at that point because she was stealing, like, the song that was associated with the one time I was, like, slightly more cool. Um, and so then in high school, I made friends with this girl um, I'll call her Alice, who was like, uh, we made friends because we were the two slowest kids on the track team. And that meant that we usually like skipped practice and like hung out on the other side of like the pole vault net where like nobody could see us. So we bonded over like doing track for no reason. And um, she was like somebody who I really like respected because she like went after what she wanted. Like she had a crush on this guy in our school. And we went to Blockbuster where he worked like every day, like not to rent videos, but to like look at this guy and maybe talk to him, <laughs> which is actually a really terrible way to behave. <laughs> like it's really creepy. Like if you did that as an adult, you'd be super creepy. And if you do it as a kid, you're super creepy. But I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and so uh, I was, and then she also like loved Madonna. And like just like obsessed with Madonna, like she knew every song. She like wanted to be Madonna. Like she should really be talking to you instead of me. But like she lives in New York, and like her job now is militant vegan. <laughs> like literally, my mom called me and she was like, "I feel like I saw your friend in Central Park holding a dead pigeon and yelling." And I was, she was like, is that possible? And I was like, that's definitely her. That's like what she does now. <laughs> so she couldn't be here today. So instead I'm talking about how I sort of like Madonna, but she like was obsessed. And because of that, I started to listen to more Madonna songs besides American Pie. And I was like, okay, like some of this isn't terrible. Um, <laughs> and some of it's pretty good. There's like one Madonna song I really like that I can't remember which one. <laughs> but I'm sure I'll think of it eventually. Um, but so anyway, uh, I think like where I'm at now is like I respect her a lot because like it, I, I, when I was reading about Madonna for this story, I came across a quote where somebody, some critic was like, Madonna does a whole bunch of things and she's not good at any of them. <laughs> but I think that's like selling her short. Like first of all, she like has written and produced most of her songs herself, which is like not actually that many pop stars. And Secondly, like when she was a celebrity, especially like in the 80s, like she did everything. Like she was like that person at your job who like does like the job of three people and then when they leave you like hire people who can't do it for a while and then you finally just give up and like split the position into two or more people because that's what you really need. And like that's kind of how the pop star landscape worked after Madonna. You had like Madonna and then after she got a little bit older you had like Britney and like Christina but like they couldn't handle all the pressure that Madonna handled. Like Britney was like shaving her head and like walking around gas stations barefoot and like what we finally had to do was split the role of Madonna into people like Adele who sing and people like the Kardashians who appropriate shit and be famous. 
Like that's literally how like the world works now because only Madonna can be both Adele and the Kardashians. <laughs> Which is amazing. Like and I think she like represents like the American dream in a lot of ways because she basically like took a tiny amount of talent, I guess, and like <laughs> a decent amount of hard work and a giant amount of appropriation and turned herself into like somebody who's been important for like decades. So like that's all any of us wants to do. So we should all respect Madonna. Thanks. <laughs> hey Cynthia, what is the most Portland thing you've done this month? Well, I'm working on a play at a theater that does all Irish works. It's called Corib Theater. And I'm working on a play about an Irish hurling team. I don't know if you know the Irish sport of hurling, but it's pretty amazing. And you can find lots of clips on YouTube. It's basically 15 players on each team running around a giant field with a small ball and uh, an implement that's kind of a cross between a cricket bat and a hockey stick. It's like shorter than a hockey stick and it's wooden, but it has a little curved foot. And it's very rough and tumble and exciting and fast-paced. Anyway, in order to more accurately portray hurlers on stage, we had a rehearsal with an actual hurling team from the Willamette Hurling Club because, of course, Portland has hurling teams. So that's <laughs> the most Portland thing I did I did recently. That sounds very Portland. It was very fun. <laughs> Well, I played field hockey in high school, so I felt very at home. That's awesome. I was going to bring that up, that you were, um, had played field hockey. I wonder, though, does um, hurling, the sport, is that where, like, to hurl comes from, like, when you get puke as well? Like, I'm I don't hurling? think so. I think it's just a coincidence that those words, I mean, I don't think what they're trying to say is, this sport will make you hurl. I think it's more about what you do to the ball. And the stick yeah. itself is called a hurley. Mm. I did not know the stick was called a hurley. Mm -hmm. That's very Portland. Thank you. Well, what is the most Chicago thing you've done recently? Well, since Labor Day was Monday, I made sure that I went to one of the last free days at our Park District Pools. Mm -hmm. I was able to swim an hour before a massive thunderstorm came in. Oh, no. And then on Tuesday, I know, it was bad. And then on Tuesday, I was able to go paddleboarding in Lake Michigan because oh, that is open and for another two weeks. So it's pretty amazing to be in a lake as you see the skyscrapers around you as you're paddling on a board. Yes. Oh, that, that was my Chicago lovely. thing. Well, congratulations yep. on utilizing the lake. I mean, I know. You have to use a lake when you're by a lake. <laughs> and that's the most Chicago thing to do Wise is work. use the lake before Wise winter work. comes. Mm -hmm. I know to use the lake in summer. You have to use a lake if you're by a lake, everybody. You heard it here. Yes. Yes. If you don't, what is the point of living by a lake? It's true. Use the lake.
Hi, I'm Neil Arsenti, producer of the podcast version of This One Woman. If you're enjoying this, come and see the show live and for free every fourth Monday of the month at Hopleaf, 5148 North Clark Street in Chicago. For more information, check out the website at thisonewoman.net or like us on Facebook. And now, back to the podcast. Our next performer is Aaron McDavis. Aaron is one of my favorite performers in the city. He's also a producer of the Comedy Tub, which you can see every Thursday at Chicago Joe's on Irving Park Road. I have to say that I think Aaron's description of Madonna is pretty accurate. Let's listen to Aaron's piece. All right, uh, I have been drinking, so I need to bring my notes up. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so yeah, we're talking about Madonna. I'm kind of conflicted on McDonough because, okay, um, okay, uh, you guys know how like awkward it is to like listen to Kanye West. Okay, that's how Madonna was for me for my entire childhood. Okay, just yeah, Madonna is basically the white woman's Kanye West. It's like it's just <laughs> you're like love your music, you're you're great, just don't talk in like public or. <laughs> Or to humans ever, just don't. Yeah, I got I got to talk about her like uh, her uh, quote unquote tribute to Aretha Franklin because that was just kind of like it's it's typical. Like I've seen it before, like with Madonna, but it just that was just oh, like she just gave no fucks. She just (laughs) is anybody y'all saw the tribute, right? Y'all. Like, all right, for those you know, if you didn't, basically uh, there was a tribute for Aretha Franklin. she walked in uh, wearing a dashiki and like African, uh, <laughs> African, uh, yeah, like African jewelry and you know outfit, and then uh, she proceeded to just uh, talk about herself uh, and yeah, like her like her doing some audition for like five minutes, and then she said like it was an Aretha Franklin song, and so give it up for Aretha Franklin, and it's, yeah, so ba- so basically she just went up there and was like yeah I'm gonna wear. This like voodoo cosplay outfit for a second. <laughs> Talk about myself for about five minutes and it's hey, shout out to Aretha Franklin. <laughs> it's, like it's like it's like if I just came out with like a Jedi robe. And I was like, hey, I had this weird dream last night where I just like I was in Chuck E. Cheese playpen and I choke slammed the rock in the playpen, <laughs> right? And I got to fly off on a pterodactyl. You know, made out with Beyonce. That was a really cool dream, right? Really cool dream. You know who had a cooler dream? Martin Luther King. Give it up for Martin Luther King, everybody. <laughs> she also did the same thing with like Prince. Yeah, she like uh, sang Prince with uh, Stevie Wonder. I forgot what song it was. Cause uh, basically, I we just witnessed a like long ass karaoke, uh, like uh, a minute with like. Like Madonna and Stevie Wonder, and I never uh, ever seen Stevie Wonder blink before. Like he's just. <laughs> she dated Tupac. She did date Tupac. So I'm like, okay, she can't be that bad. She dated Dennis Rodman. I like Dennis Rodman. You can't, like. But then she dated Vanilla Ice too. So I don't know what. I um, yeah, this was the first music video I saw of Madonna. It was the Like a Prayer. <laughs> 
Please be like, is anybody seen that music yeah. video? Okay, so you, all right, basically, yeah. I never seen somebody like bring in so many. There was a black gospel choir too, and then it's like you know, you know, tall, handsome black Jesus guy, and I don't know how she just kind of like um, made this like weird version, warped version of the help, <laughs> like. Where it's like, but it's, it was kind of like, uh, music video was kind of like, Madonna cures racism, kind of <laughs> like, like, if you watch the music video, like, okay, so Black Jesus, like, he's, he's a statue, then she, like, kisses his feet, and he's like, oh, I'm alive, because she, like, that's the magic of Madonna, you know, just like, just, and, uh, and it all, and then there's, like, it cuts to this scene with, like, a woman getting attacked by, like, some people, and then a Black Jesus runs up to her, like, apparently Black Jesus is now homeless all of a sudden, and so he tries to help her out, then gets called by, you know, the cops come and take him, because even black Jesus gets, like, arrested, like, <laughs> even the black son of God <laughs> gets arrested. And then she frowns on her, like, I gotta do something. <laughs> and then it cuts to her, like, uh, going to the cops, like, and he's, like, like, smiling, shaking the hands of the cops, then going up to black Jesus' cell, and then, like, freeing him. <laughs> and then they, and it cuts to, like, like, like it was a play all along, and he just bows. She, she's like, yeah, thank you. And she was in front of everybody. Like, the black gospel choir's in the back, and black Jesus is in the back. She's like, thank you, I solved racism. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, I didn't even tell you about the worst part of it. Because um, I mentioned the gospel choir, right? Now, so she's dancing and singing with the gospel choir, and like, they're all happy about it and all stuff. Uh, at the same time, it's being, there, it's being cut to another scene of Madonna dancing in front of uh, a background of burning crosses. <laughs> and happily, just like, oh, like a proud, What's really shitty, like, uh, she, uh, she practices Kabbalah, which is like, like this pseudo-Jewishy religion thing. It's, it's, like, it's like Judaism marketed for, for like Gentiles. And just, so just imagine if she loved Jews as much as she loved black people. Uh, just, and how that music video would be. Oh yeah, a bunch of Mein Kampf writings in the back, just like, just a bunch of Nazis dancing. And she's just quoting some like, some Yiddish, like just dancing. <laughs> Look, I had to live with this, okay? I had to live with this. You got to ignore this. <laughs> just, uh, that was my <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I'm just, <laughs> Next up, we have Tori Zakari. Tori is so funny and thoughtful. I love her work. She's a comedian and storyteller, and she's one of the producers of a very cool show called Serving the Sentence. Here's Tori giving some very blunt advice to a celebrity. Thanks, everybody. Um, so you are all pop culture following adults, and you saw Madonna last week at the VMAs, or some heard some chatter intel about it on the internet, and uh, and Kenna said, "Who's going to talk about this at this one woman?" And I said, "I am." But not, not, I, I'm going to do what Madonna did and I'm going to make you cringe and I'm going to make it all about myself. So anyway, um, 
let's let's go back in the Wayback Machine to 2002. Uh, my brother and I, I uh, was recently finished college and I moved back in with my parents. And my brother had come home on weekends and this one weekend in the fall, we were gonna go down to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, where um, a cavalcade of Comedy Central comics were performing. Well, like four of them. I don't remember the, the fourth guy, but it was Mitch Hedberg, David Tell, who, if you guys don't know who David Tell is, he had um, the Anthony Bourdain show, but with a lot more frat boys. And, and it was a lot more xenophobic. Yeah, that's the word. Um, and, and Louis Black, and, and that's it. And so um, I, I got to go along because my brother is afraid of driving. That's a whole other story, I think, probably for uh, uh, Danica Patrick's time. Um, but I, so I'm like, so, I, so Drew is telling me, hey, you know, you know, it's these guys. And I knew who Louis Black was and I knew who David Tell was. And I was like, who's Mitch Hedberg? And for those of you who don't know who Mitch Hedberg is, uh, he, at the time, was this comic who was this very laconic, sedate guy. His most famous joke, at least in my head, is I was at a job interview the other day, and the interviewer said, where do you see yourself in five years? And I answered, celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question. <laughs> So, so Drew's telling me about him, and uh, I, I was like, oh, you know, I was kind of intrigued. I wasn't really looking forward to this night. So we get down to Madison to the Barrymore Theater on the east side on Willie Street, and we park, we go in, and we sit down, and Mitch Hedberg comes out, and he is so, he was so fucking funny. He was so fucking funny. But what the thing happened was, Drew kind of insinuated that Mitch Hedberg had a problem with heroin. I don't know how he knew about this being someone in a town of 9,000 people in South Central Wisconsin, but he knew that uh, you know Mitch Hedberg and substances were you know were too familiar with each other. So I was you know. So I, you know, watched it and I laughed and I wasn't thinking about uh, the heroin stuff. And, you know, the night went on, you know, David Tell came on and he was, you know, just ranting about women who wouldn't have sex with him. And I'm like, I was wanted to shout out, hey, if you would be nice to these women, maybe they'd give you access to the, their vagina, huh? <laughs> um, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I, I, the, the cringe part comes later, guys. Um, and then Louis Black came on and he was screaming, I hate W, and, and I wanted to say, who the hell doesn't in this theater in Madison, Wisconsin? You know, um, this was 2002, so it was right, you know, as we were going into the Iraq war, right post 9-11, you know, that kind of drumbeat was going on. So I, I was getting a little antsy. I was getting a little antsy. But the show finally ended. And uh, my brother and I went outside because my brother, he's a funny guy, but he doesn't get up on stage and you know talk to you people like I do. 
Um, he should, but um, he doesn't. And he wanted to meet the comedians and maybe get an autograph. And uh, the Barrymore has a nice place in the back where, um, you know, if the artists are smoking or just hanging out after we're getting some air, you can go and ask him for an autograph. So, um, my, you know, Drew and I go out and we, you know, we got out before the, most of the crowd did. And Mitch Hedberg and a couple of his friends were smoking outside. And uh, my brother asked Mitch Hedberg for an autograph. He gives it to him. And I said, you're really good, but you need to stop doing heroin. <laughs> Uh-huh. I said that. I said that. And, you know, keep in mind, I had had a very good girl, like I, like I only smelled weed, nobody offered me anything. Through five years of college, you know, maybe a beer, that was about it. So, you know, I knew that drugs were bad, I, and heroin was really bad and really scary, but I was... 23 years old <laughs> and I, I said that and a silence fell upon Madison, Wisconsin. You'd think, you'd, you'd think there would be, there, that screaming would ensue. You know, I guess Mitch Hedberg was really, uh, you know, was really um, laconic. So he wasn't like one to yell. And my brother takes me by the hand, he's six foot five, and he walks me back to the car, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And, you know, we're driving home uh, an hour an hour back to my parents' house. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I just, it just came out. And, you know, we kind of, Drew and I kind of say to each other, we're never going to speak of this again. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, a couple years later, uh, Mitch Hedberg did, did OD. I still shouldn't have said anything to him because that's not, it wasn't my business as some rando, you know, Wisconsinite. Being like, stop, stop it with this Mac, Mitch. Um, but, you know, my brother brings it up. Once he got mad at me and talked about it on his Twitter to his 2,000 followers. And I have to say, in the end, it was embarrassing, but I learned from it. And I still cringe when I think about it, but we all have those moments, don't we? So I'm gonna quote a deep, deep, dark uh, song from the Madonna Vault. Uh, hu human Nature from, from uh, um, Bedtime Stories and say that I'm not sorry, even though I kinda am. Thank you very much.
de dónde eres. ¿Cuántos niños tienes? Yo soy Madonna, no sé dónde está el baño. and Tony Mendoza. There were some visual elements you may be missing from not being in the room, but it was so entertaining, we had to give you a taste of it. Exactly. Here's the thing. as Because we're a live show, there are some acts that just don't translate onto a podcast. For instance, if we had a puppet act, we can't show puppets on a podcast. You just can't force puppets into your ears. You can't force puppets into your ears, and the best thing about a puppet show is the actual puppets. It's the same thing with some sketches and acts that we have. So please, come see a live taping. <laughs> live taping? We're not a live taping. <laughs> what are we, Oprah? We're not Oprah. Come see, come see a live show, because you're not going to hear everything that actually happens at the show. More can be added, more can be taken away. It's all based on the power of our producer, Neil. <laughs> what does he like? What does he not like? Cut it out. the show was Anita Meckler. Do you know Anita? I know of her. She's one of those like friends of friends. She's amazing. I'm also in a true crime group with her as well. Um, oh, yes. The Lady Dicks? That's exactly the name of the group. How'd you know the name? Are you in the Lady mm -hmm. Dicks? <laughs> because I may also be in the Lady yeah, Dicks. I, mean, yeah. I know. How come you never comment on the Lady Dicks posts? <laughs> oh, so much true crime, so little time. That's true. Well, she's also a writer, a storyteller, and she's a member of Drinkers with Writing Problems. They released an anthology last year, and they have a show the last Friday of the month at the Kedzie Inn, which is formerly Briscoe's Bistro. We stared down from the top of the hill, feeling the weight of the biggest of double dog dares ever. I could feel the cushiness of the banana seat of my beloved pink strawberry shortcake cruiser under me. My best neighborhood friend, Michelle, stood next to me over her sparkly blue rainbow bright bike on that hot summer day. It's now or never, we both thought. It was a dangerous proposition. The traffic at New Braunfels Avenue sped periodically below us at the bottom of the hill. I wanted to close my eyes instead. My heart felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. My palms sweaty. My legs quivered over the pedals. This moment felt like one of those I'd remember forever, if I made it. We started at the count of three, and before I knew it, I was whooshing down that hill, eyes wide open with the wind in my hair, the thrill of unknown danger below me, my entire body consumed with a lust for life and a love for my friend beside me. We both made it, and triumphant, we attempted the hill for the rest of the summer until eventually we bored of it. I've always had an adventurous streak 
seeking things out that flirt with the edge of death or disaster. I was the youngest of a small group gang of kids, the hey, wait up guys kid. I was the I want to play too kid, the baby who needed to stop being such a baby. It was often the boys that pushed the envelope of fun disguised as danger. I may have been little or immature, but I was certainly feisty. I wanted to be as fun as the boys and as cool as the boys. Unfortunately, my place, like other girls, included a lot of watching from the sidelines. Sometimes I was put in pretty dresses that I was admonished not to destroy. The echo of my mother's favorite phrase, be careful, still haunts my life decisions. The stakes seemed higher for me and my responsibilities numerous. Boys could continue to play while the girls had to clean up after. We were fine as long as we were nice about it. Even when given free reign to explore the neighborhood from sunrise to sunset, we could still be limited by what was considered appropriate. With my female friends, I could explore other depths of life as we anticipated becoming women, playing with dolls as practice for compulsory motherhood, commanding a room as the boss lady or teacher to get others to do our bidding, keeping things organized as the secretary for our many made-up clubs, willingly being the participant of makeup tutorials or bra stuffing seminars, or partnering in secret crushes and curiosity about sex and prank calls that gave us the exhilaration of randomly contacting other humans. Right around this time when I was too young to understand it or be able to look at it, Madonna published her book, Sex. It seemed like a wild romp through an exploration of sexuality that I could only guess at its titillations. Madonna understood fun, disguised as possible danger, and she knew how to command attention on her terms, both things I craved. We listened to Madonna at slumber parties, singing loudly and dancing around in our pajamas, or at the roller rink during countless birthday parties, or in the privacy of our bedrooms surrounded by the posters of our idols. Exactly what some of us wanted, um, too many jelly bracelets to count, permed hair with streaks of blonde, black tutus, and super cool motorcycle boots. She was a rule breaker. Um, being raised Catholic, I knew that she upset some of my relatives by wearing rosaries as jewelry, and yet I found that electrifying about her. As my body grew lightning fast into puberty, I quickly learned about unwanted attention, like the kind that sometimes intrigued me or made me sick to my stomach or the kind that had potential to ruin female friendships with jealousy. It wasn't from boys my age, who were all still confused or grossed out by girls. We got in the way of the real fun they could be having. Grown men started to treat me differently. They wanted to give me things. They wanted things from me. They wanted to be nearer to me, and they wanted to talk to me on the phone even when they had called the wrong number, which happened a lot. Men reached into my disappearing childhood to pull me forward in ways I didn't comprehend at the time. Around this time, San Antonians were deeply shaken by the disappearance of a girl close to my age named Heidi. For weeks, her picture had been plastered everywhere, on telephone poles in the supermarket, and on the nightly news. Wow, I'm getting really emotional about this, excuse me. She wore a toothy grin, um, girlish bangs, and a white collared shirt. There was a massive search effort for her across the city, affecting all the neighborhoods. It ended in all too familiar tragedy, like a true crime cliche. 
after what seemed like months, somebody found her body, 60 miles away, wrapped in garbage bags, along a country road, sexually violated, strangled, and abandoned. Those combined images still haunt me today. They shattered the innocence of a city and its inhabitants. Heidi had disappeared while walking home from a slumber party, a party where she probably also sang and danced along to her pop idols, traded multicolored jelly bracelets, put her friends' bras in the freezer, played truth or dare, and whispered about sex. Her picture could have easily been one of my friends. Every time I see a black garbage bag on the side of the road, I always wonder if it contains a body. And I always think of Heidi. Perhaps knowing this at a young age fueled my interest in true crime, like so many women I currently befriend. Over 25 years later, her kidnapper and killer has yet to be found, like so many cases all over the world. Childhood is seen as this time of innocence. We are ignorant of so many things, like the dangers that befall us through accidental death, or murder, or rape, or abduction. Sometimes our innocence gets chipped away little by little, by small words and actions, and other times it can be sloughed away from us in one fell swoop. As an adult, I try to mitigate this balance of knowing and not wanting to know. I feel a fierce protectiveness for my nieces and my friends. I catch myself wondering about the horrors people visit on others, and I turn away when it becomes too much. I still seek out the thrill of a bike ride with my friends. I still dress up in costumes and fantasy and sing and dance like no one is watching. Of all the good things in life light up my path like a trail of brightness on a dark road. Thank you. It was really fun talking about Madonna. I have to go watch that Aretha Franklin video because I haven't actually oh, seen that. Oh, I don't think you have to watch that Aretha Franklin video. <laughs> you think I can skip I that one and be okay? I think you can skip it, but I also think... It might be a good idea to go back to some of the 80s movies where Madonna um, is on the soundtrack. You know, my favorite Madonna is is League of Their Own Madonna. Oh, I love... Why didn't no one talk about League of Their Own? That I really surprised me. Where are all the Rockford... The Racine fans? Exactly. Rockford, Rockford Peaches. Peaches. Racine Bells. Exactly. Nobody talked about that Madonna. They didn't bring up Evita? And I, I think I brought up Evita because then I also brought up the album that was produced by Babyface in the 90s. Um, Dick Tracy, I think somebody mentioned. Oh, Dick Tracy. Oh, mm-hmm. somebody as in the co-host of the show, Neil Arsenti. No Nobody brought up, yeah, like I brought up Vision Quest, brought up like, who's that girl? And a couple other things. There was a, you guys, Madonna did a lot, but I do agree with it. Aaron's assessment of her. Just keep singing. Remember that time Madonna did stand-up comedy on Jimmy Fallon? Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that time. And when I say did stand-up comedy, that's in, like, very large air quotes. I completely forgot about that. Anywho. Anyhow, Madonna, great artist from the 80s and 90s, and currently not so good at a speaking. At the a speaking, <laughs> did I say? <laughs> Apparently, I'm not so good at the speaking. Madonna. Speaking is hard. Talking is really difficult. But luckily, I this will all be edited out. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
This One Woman was created and produced by Kenna Linoff and Cynthia Schopetz, who also hosted and wrote this podcast. Music for This One Woman podcast was written and performed by John Steinmeier. The This One Woman podcast was produced by myself, Neil Arsenti. We'll see you next month.